Hello, happy people. Welcome to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Profitable Happiness Podcast, and it is my pleasure to introduce to you my brother from another mother, <laughs> Benjamin Agnacho, MBA, PMP, Lion. First of all, I'm so proud to call you my friend. We just met recently in the strangest way. Um, you know, our two daughters apparently were friends way before we knew each other. And here we are um, together in Austin, Texas. Uh, Benjamin, it is an honor and a privilege to meet you. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. Good to see you, my friend. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, Benjamin, you are here, besides being my very good friend and my brother, as I said, because you are the author of a fantastic book called The Knowledge Cafe. And when I was reading through this, I, I couldn't tell you how proud I was. Create an environment for successful knowledge management and how much I learned from reading this. But before we get into this book and everything that's led you to give this to the world, could you tell us what problem you solve in the world with this book? What is the, if you could boil it down to just one paragraph, right? What is the one big problem that you solve in the world with this book? Thank you so much for the question. In fact, um, my, the, the area, the domain we are discussing here is knowledge management. And knowledge management is all about curating knowledge and transferring knowledge. So that you can so that you increase knowledge velocity in the workplace, in a board, in the family setting, in any kind of setting. But knowledge management is incomplete without socialization, cross-fertilization of ideas, cross-fertilization of knowledge is also incomplete without cross-pollination of knowledge from one state to another. And when knowledge workers, people who know something, talk to each other. And when machines talk to each other, rather than talking at each other, if you can identify with this, many machines in many workplaces talk at each other. Employees talk at each other, but they need to talk to each other. And the machine does not stop talking to each machine. They're supposed to talk to human beings. A human being is supposed to talk to machine. And there is a flow of knowledge and information in the system. So that you break down silos. I, I see silos, I work in the public se sector. I see silos everywhere and it, it impedes progress. It, it hampers innovation. It uh, hampers efficiency. But uh, we need, when there is a knowledge management, that means you have been able to harness the knowledge in the organization, what people know, uh, the one in the machine, the one in people's head, and there is cross-fertilization. There is a free flow, there is free exchange then there is knowledge management. So yeah. this book, the problem it wants to solve is that human element. Knowledge management sits on what they call three legs. Some people say four legs. It has the uh, people, you have the process, you, you have the um, technology, and then you have the content, four, four legs. And now most times the academias or the champions of knowledge management have overemphasized on these three other elements and left the people component. So my emphasis on this book is to emphasize on the people component, mm. cross-fertilization, because the knowledge information doesn't stop in the machines or the process or content, the human interaction. 
I'm one of those people who believe that the human interaction is the greatest, most effective enabler of all knowledge transfer. Mm -hmm. Because through human interaction, you transfer curiosity. You mm -hmm. transfer teaming. You transfer empathy. You can transfer a whole bunch of uh, human capabilities through human interaction. So yeah. Knowledge Cafe is about human interaction through conversation. It's about conversation, how to engage a meaningful conversation, knowledge, learning conversation that drives us to new knowledge and that drives us to, to creativity, that drives us to innovation. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is the, the one area that I'm fully aware of is that this is not just a cosmetic issue. This costs the world billions of dollars. It costs businesses billions of dollars trying to manage knowledge, trying to transfer knowledge and learning and different kinds of conversations, as you say. This is a very expensive problem. Um, you know, one of the things that you said in your book and in different places that I've, I've watched you is that there is a difference between information and knowledge. I would love for you to help us understand that. But then before we do that, could you tell us exactly how you became so passionate about knowledge management? What in your history has brought Benjamin Anyacho to this place? Take us Thank way back. So much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I am, I call myself a quintessential project manager. For those who know me, I'm a missionary here in Austin. I've been here for a while. And I have the ability and the grace to, uh, to bring diverse people to the table for the better good of humanity, for transformation. So I'm a project manager, and what I do is to solve complicated problems. I, I, as a, a, a senior project manager in a public sector, I help to solve problems. I help to, to, to use project and program management, uh, portfolio management uh, technologies, uh, um, um, use project and pro program management uh, techniques to solve complicated projects and program problems and provide efficiency in the organization. So as I manage project, I have been able to train, um, I, I have to develop organizational project management in the organization I work for. And through that, we I mentored about 40 something project managers that in turn mentored other project managers today more than 100 project managers have become PMP certified. So, but in my journey in project management, I realized that there are silos. I remember when I wanted to develop, uh, manage a, an enterprise-wide project. I look out for the uh, PMO. I wasn't in PMO, but I look out for PMO to see if I can get, I could get some charter or some project management documents to, to manage my project. I realized the PMO did not have those documents. So I began to develop mine. While I was developing mine, I realized other people were duplicating the same effort, doing the same thing. And I said, it's like we are wasting our time. We are reinventing the wheel. There has to be something better. There has to be a way that we all know what everybody's doing so that we make become more efficient. I believe it's stupid to just reinvent the wheel to do what somebody has already done. What yeah. you do is to uh, make the wheels to fly rather than reinventing the wheel. So in the process, I realized that there are pockets of knowledge here and there 
silos here and there, you want to get information, there is a roadblock, roadblock there, roadblock there. And some silos for, for the records are good silos. Not all silos are bad. Yeah. So th these are the things that are, began to make me think there has to be a better way because I'm a problem solver. Yeah. I realized that, oh, now it was done on me that we are not managing knowledge properly. Yeah. We need to manage knowledge. And managing knowledge is an intentional process. Wow. You know, not, not, you manage knowledge with some techniques. You, you, some of you listening here, you have job aid at your work. It's a knowledge management technique. You have uh, communities of practice. It's a knowledge management technique. You have training and development at your work. It's a knowledge management technique. You have lessons learned as a project manager. Lessons learned. We document lessons learned from the beginning of the project to the end of the project. So knowledge management helps us, helps project managers or people who don't even manage projects in programs and operations that throughout your program and operation, you identify knowledge you have learned and so that you can use them for future projects. Yeah. And also go back to the knowledge that you learned from previous projects and use them for current projects. Yeah. So that knowledge is not lost. Because if I go a little further, by 2029, 76 million baby boomers will walk out of our workplaces in America with decades, ladies and gentlemen, of intellectual capital, critical knowledge they have garnered over the years. And you know how much that will cost organizations billions of dollars, ladies and gentlemen. So, but the reason is that some people think that their knowledge is their power. Mm. Their knowledge is their secret weapon. Mm. So they preserve their knowledge, keep their knowledge to themselves. And I believe, like my book says, curating the environment. You, you cannot share your knowledge to an enemy. Mm. There has to be an environment where people are not only encouraged, but they are incentivized to share their knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. these are the things that made me to begin to think about knowledge management seriously and the best way to implement it. I realized that knowledge management is a complicated concept, ladies and gentlemen. It's a purely academic. Yeah. So I'm a simplifier of complicated things. I now thought, how can you make venture into this complication? Mm -hmm. You can use Knowledge Cafe, a simple, a simple process to make inroad to, into knowledge management. You know, I, I just love the way you've taken so many different disciplines. As you've said, communities of practice, you've talked about different types of things, all being under the umbrella of knowledge management. I think that's powerful. And I'd love for you to take us a little bit deeper into the mechanics of how this book solves those challenges. But before we do that, Benjamin, you know, I said earlier that, you know, you are like my brother from another mother. And I meant that because we've discovered that not only do we both come from Africa originally, we come from the same place in Africa. <laughs> and, you know, my father's name, I don't, I've never told you this, is Okwadibo. And you know what that means? That means speech, knowledge is of the Igbo, which is what we are. We are Igbos. So you are walking you are walking around in this world to me as a representation of the wisdom of your people. I think that's powerful. Could you take us back to your people and to the inspiration of your father, who, as you said, was a carpenter, but something about knowledge management started for you way back then. Take us back to that. Thank you. Uh, uh, to go back to my root, my father, my left father is uh, Isaiah. Anacho Njoko. My father 
was a carpenter. In fact, his works, I wrote that, that's what I wrote in the prefix of my book. My father, his carpentry work was not, wow, it wasn't the best of the best, but there is something unique about his, every carpentry work he did. My father was a leader and also had lots of knowledge in arts, how to put things together. But my greatest challenge is not having the opportunity to exchange knowledge with my father, my, because my father died while I was a child. And I realized that my father had no control over his death, just like anybody else. But my father definitely had control over his knowledge. Mm. And because of that, I made it as one of the ethos of my life to share everything I know. Listen, if you want to know everything I know, I'll take you to lunch. <laughs> because I believe that any knowledge that is not shared is useless. Mm. Any knowledge you go to the grave, and a lot of many people listening to me right now, 80% of all you know are going to the grave with you. It is a wasted knowledge. Any knowledge that is not activated, applied, shared, is useless and produces nothing. So I made it the ethos of my life. I know some people, I go to conferences all around the country, people share with me and tell me, Ben, why will I share my knowledge to a stranger? Why will I share my knowledge to somebody who wants to take my job, take my position? I get it. I get it. Uh, um, uh, an oriental man sent his son to a carpenter to learn carpentry. After six months, he brought the carpenter brought the kid back to his father. And the father asked him, what's the problem with the kid? Was he stealing? Was he disobedient? The carpenter said, no, you got a great kid. He, didn't, he doesn't steal. He listens. But my problem is that a kid doesn't like me. Mm. Ah. If he doesn't like me, he can't learn from me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, hello. You can't share your knowledge with enemies. So many people are working on eggshells in their workplaces where you have a dog fight, dog eat dog environment. So organizations need to create the environment where knowledge is freely shared and not only shared, you don't expect me to share my knowledge, but incentivize people to share their knowledge. I talked to an engineer uh, at the organization where I work. The engineer oversees a district, large district. He told me, hey, Benjamin, uh, in my district, for you to merit employment, one of the points required for promotion is you have to demonstrate that you are mentoring somebody or sharing your knowledge. I said, you are my man. The guy understood. And he said, when you do that, I give you double points for promotion. Wow. You are incentivizing people to share their knowledge, ladies and gentlemen, or else in two, they'll give you two weeks they are living, they are retiring, they are living with those knowledge. And you are likely going to tell me, Bear, well, I hire somebody from Harvard, he will do the job. Yeah, but the person from Harvard is going to take time before they get to speed. Yeah. But if the, if the environment is where knowledge, there is a fluidity of knowledge, where, the, where knowledge Flow, the free flow of knowledge, increased velocity of knowledge, where there is environment, where people freely, and there is curiosity yeah. for sharing your knowledge. Yeah. So yeah. back to my, my, my route. So that was mentoring in Africa. Many people who are millionaires in Africa today, they had mentors. Mentoring is a knowledge management technique. Is probably the oldest knowledge management technique is mentoring. Wow. You have a mentor. So in Africa, we had a mentor. 
you had your dad is actually your typical default mentor. My dad yeah. could have been my mentor, but I, I lost him when I was a baby. Mm. And as I'm growing up, I have hundreds of mentors today. I mean, hundreds of mentees. My mission on earth is to mentor 1 million people. And I am on my way towards that. I have wow. mentoring sections. I have people I mentor. I want to pour everything I know into them. Wow. You, you know, uh, first of all, I think you are well on your way to that goal with this book. And if I could just say, it's such a, it's, it's such a heart, it's, 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 it's such an emotional history to have come from your father dying so early and you recognizing the loss was not only the loss of the physical father, which, which we all mourn, my father has also passed away, but also his wisdom, his knowledge. That is, that is so, so powerful. And it's a real warning to those of us who can take each other to lunch now. <laughs> As you said, you take me to lunch, I'll get to, to know who you are. Um, that's powerful. But let's get into the mechanics of, of your book a little bit. Um, I would love to know if you could, I mean, it's a big book, so this is gonna be a tough one, but I'm sure you can do it because you wrote the book. <laughs> can you tell us in maybe three points what you believe the top three um, uh, maybe t nuggets that people need to take away from this book would be? Because I would love for people to just say, okay, I got to go get this book like right now after they hear this conversation. So what are the top three nuggets that you would share about this book? Number one is a conversation. A conversation is like ping pong games. But the challenge is how do we get people bowling? When you, knowledge cafe, in my opinion, is a way to get people bowling in terms of conversation. You could say, well, we all know how to have conversation, engaging conversation. And I'm talking specifically about knowledge conversation, learning conversation, where you engage with people who share knowledge, who have different knowledge, or who share similar knowledge with you so that you can rejuvenate in the process. Number two is a simplicity. Uh, simplicity is the rule of the game because there are so many tools and techniques for managing knowledge. But in my work, in my, I have applied knowledge management to different settings. I've developed knowledge interview program for my organization. I've, de I've developed knowledge management strategy, uh, knowledge cafes and fairs, uh, communities of practice. I currently mentor about 50, more than 50 communities of practice. I realized that there has to be an inroad. How do you, if you just want to venture into knowledge management, what is the simplest way to start? Do you start by developing an organizational strategy or you start by organizing a community of practice? Those are ways you could start. Or do you start by doing, conducting knowledge audit of your organization to see where your organization is? But I believe that you can actually start as casual as having a knowledge cafe. Now, what does it mean? to get people in the cafe where you have some boundaries and that's in terms of ground rules. The ground rules are very important in conversation. When you're having meaningful conversation, complicated conversation, conversation with a purpose, you need to build parameters around that conversation so that people will be free to unleash, to share what they know. Number three is crazy idea or innovation. Number three, if you are like me, I believe in crazy ideas. I believe in innovation. But hey, innovations are never buffered in the cubicle. Mm. You need a space where people can, can open up and pour out their crazy ideas. Okay? 
Peter Drucker. Uh, Peter Drucker was right when he said that uh, uh, that uh, there are two types of people in any organization. He said those who are the bureaucrats and the lunatics. He said the lunatics are responsible for administration of the organization. The bureaucrats are responsible for making sure there is innovation. The, bureaucrat, the, the lunatics are responsible for innovation. But he says the challenge is how do you get two of them to work together? Innovation never comes from the bureaucracy who often try to shame the lunatics and force them out. So the cafe is a lunatic and crazy idea friendly environment. <laughs> it enables uh, curious knowledge workers, learners with crazy ideas and knowledge to bring it on so that all that curious and caffeinated knowledge workers can test them out. I don't know if you're like me, and me, the greatest idea or innovation I have produced came in a cafe where I am let loose in the midst of people who believe me, trust me, and know that I can say some dumb things, some crazy ideas. But the ideas ruling the world today are not pretty ideas. They are original. They were originally crazy, dumb ideas. Yeah. We need a space where, a safe space, for lack of a better word, where people can share their crazy idea. That's what yeah. cafe is. Wow. A place outside from the office and outside from the quietness or noise at home. A place outside the office at home or home. Because I, I realized that, that the greatest innovation in human history, revolution, started in a cafe around saucers. So that's what the knowledge cafe it, it, it brings people in a place of in a place of simplicity, simplicity in terms of um, uh, uh, discussing knowledge. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you know what's interesting about the way you've defined knowledge cafe, and and for anybody who's wondering, it can be a physical space, but what's most important, I think, in your definition is the ground rules that make the environment safe for innovation, for learning conversations, um, you know, for successful outcomes. I, I just love the, uh, the way you've bottled the idea of a knowledge cafe, away from only being about coffee, <laughs> to, to actually being about creating uh, possible outcomes. Uh, Benjamin, if, if, you, if you don't mind, you've, you've said a lot of really powerful things um, that I think anyone can get value from. But for those people who might be doubters, you know how people are. Some people will say, I love this. Others go, hmm, how are we going to do that? <laughs> right? Your, your lunatics and your, um, what do you call the other group? The, the uh, bureaucrats. The bureaucrats. Okay. For people who, who decide that maybe they understand, they get it, but how do I make it happen? Right? How do I implement a knowledge cafe in my environment? How do I make it successful for me? What would you say to those people? How to make it successful? Let, let me pivot a little bit before I get to your question. One is a mindset. David Gautin was the man who originally coined the word knowledge cafe around 2004-ish. I have used this principle for years before I bumped into the actual concept of knowledge cafe. I said, this is actually what I've been practicing. Yep. Knowledge cafe uh, David Caffeine looks at it as um, a way to share exchange knowledge where people get together to exchange uh, knowledge, uh, share ideas or discuss on topics, uh, best practices, uh, knowledge management, best practices, etc. But I also saw it beyond that as a mindset, just like agile. 
So what I'm trying to achieve with this book is to create a mindset of flexibility, a mind flex of simplicity, just as simple as walking into your corner cafe. So Knowledge Cafe is as simple as you're walking into your favorite cafe with a friend to share. I had a presentation yesterday, PMI Austin, I asked them, um, what is, I asked them a question, why do people go to the cafe? Ask yourself that question. So it says people go to the cafe to get overpriced coffee. <laughs> <I love> <laughs> they go to the cafe uh, because of the quietness or the you know warmness of the cafe, away from home, away from office. They go to the cafe for free Wi-Fi. They go to the cafe to meet friends and catch up with friends, catch up on email. They go to cafe. You can see what cafe does that other settings done. Now bring it within the circumference of learning and knowledge. Because they're not just cafe, it's not just, well, we just want to go to the cafe and uh, drink a latte. No. <laughs> We're going to the cafe to exchange knowledge. In fact, people, they, first and foremost, one of the chapters in my book is curiosity. Curiosity, they say, kills a, a dog. Is that? Yeah. Curiosity kills a dog. Curiosity, it is a curiosity of cafe goers. See, people who are coming to the cafe are coming to learn. These are curious learners. Yeah. They want to learn. They want to exchange. There is a problem, similar problem. They are pursuing similar demons in their projects, in their life, in devils. They want one of the chapters there. I talked about personal knowledge management. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes we talk about managing the knowledge of others. No, and forget managing our personal knowledge. They say charity begins at home, but doesn't stop at home. You have to begin with your personal knowledge. If I ask you, do you know how much you know? Take a minute to think about it. Do you know, really know how much you know? How many times have you taken time to document the things you know? How many times have you been able to document the things you know that you didn't even know that you know? Yeah. When you start doing that, you are beginning to manage your personal knowledge. So then when you go to the cafe, let me tell you, some of you listening to me here have 10, 20, 30 books inside them. You know why they don't know? Because they don't know what they know. Mm. They have not managed their knowledge. They have no plans to manage their individual knowledge. So knowledge management involves capturing, identifying what you know. Yeah. And see the interfaces of what you know with the things you are knowing now and make the connection and see innovation, boom. See our great ideas, creativity explode. Wow. And again, when you begin to share what you know with others, for me, when I'm sharing what I know, oh my gosh, with people as I'm discussing with people in a cafe, what I know quadruples. Yeah, I begin to make connection. People say a word to echo or reference what I know. New knowledge comes in. New ideas comes in. Yeah. So, um, uh, an answer to your question: How to uh, implement this? It is is simplicity. How to implement it is to start. I ask people. People ask me, how do I start a process? I say the best way to start is to start. There you so, go. call a cafe meeting. Say, hey. And there's nobody here who is doing a job, only you do the job. If you don't even need people who look like you to be in a cafe, you need people who are diametrically opposite. Let me tell you, the greatest, the great innovation comes when people challenge your ideas. Some yeah. people don't want people to challenge their idea. I want if you have written a book before, you think you're a great writer. After you've written it, you give it to a proofreader. The proofreader crosses everything and says, Ben, people don't understand what you're writing. They say, gee, I thought I'm a great writer. Bring your ideas to the cafe and let people shred it. Yes. 
Now, when I was writing this book, I had a friend who is a, a Georgetown University professor, and I researched extensively on this book. I had I had more than 30 pages of references, and I gave it to her to read the Ben, oh my gosh, leave this old dudes, these their ideas. We need to hear your idea, Benjamin. Leave these ideas alone. You know, see, people, so, so I, several people gave me such feedback. Yeah. You need to hear feedback. Some people are afraid and threatened by feedback, but I, that's why I dwell. I need to go to the cafe and hear what the others think about my ideas. I don't yeah. want to die with my ideas. Yeah, no, that, that's powerful. In, in fact, I have to say you are the first and possibly the most caffeinated individual <laughs> I've ever met. <laughs> you know, what, what? I think part of the genius of your work, in my opinion, is that you're tapping into what I would call the magic of synergy. You know, we are better together. Um, we are better when we are a team and we can share knowledge. So I just- I, I call it co-creative innovation. Yes. Co-creative innovation. It yes. happens at the cafe. At the cafe. And you've given, you've given a physical form to it through the analogy and actual name of a, of a knowledge cafe. Now, this is not your only book. You've actually written another book, which I believe is right behind you. Um, uh, tell us about your, your journey as, shall I call you a serial knowledge cafe <laughs> entrepreneur? <laughs> what, what? Well. What is your journey in, in, in terms of finding this thing that makes you happy, which is teaching, communicating, and finding a way to, to be profitable doing it in your current work as a knowledge management expert? Yes, profitable happiness. You know, everybody has to identify what makes them happy in their journey. Uh, for me, what uh, triggers me off, one of the triggers is when I give. I, I wish I had the time I can give you text message upon text message, email upon email of people who say, Ben, you changed my life. I got the job. You helped me to negotiate the salary. Ben, if it was not you, I, I, I couldn't have ventured into that because you inspired me. You, those are the things that make, give me joy. Yeah. So uh, my greatest joy is when I give to people because the hand that gives is always on top. Even writing this book, how did this book come about? Because I was volunteering. Boy, I spent hours and hours volunteering. I started a nonprofit organization in Austin, Texas. I spent the rest of my life, most of my life, volunteering. Even though I worked, I spent time to volunteer and give back. And believe me, every great person I know in the world today, I knew them where I was volunteering, where I was giving back. Wow. That's where my joy comes. In fact, I was presenting at PMI Global at uh, Los Angeles 2018. I developed original content and presented to the conference organizers that said, Ben, come and speak two topics free. I spoke free and they didn't charge a thing. It was there that a national publisher met me and asked me to write this book. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Barrett Kohler, they asked me to write this book where I was volunteering. In my board, I had millionaires in my board. Those people, I met them where I was volunteering. The greatest connection. People I was, I've been dreaming to meet one day, like John Maxwell. I love John Maxwell. When I was pre PMI president, PMI Austin chapter, I led the board to bring John Maxwell. <laughs> it's a big deal, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, to yeah, bring John yeah. Maxwell to speak to your group. I did that. All these results happened within the circumference of volunteerism. Yeah. I, have, I mean, whatever you do, whatever your passion is as an entrepreneur, whatever you do, find time to volunteer. And some of you will knock it off and say, Benjamin, well, 
I don't have time. I'm waiting when I can have 10 hours to volunteer. No, volunteer one hour. It's just like giving, giving. If you cannot give 10% on $100, there is no guarantee that you will give 10% when you have a million dollars. So give 10 minutes, give 10 minutes, just make it, don't give one hour, just give 10 minutes. I want to volunteer 10 minutes a month. Yeah. So you can't, that's where my joy, that's my happiness, my brother. That's where my, you got to look for something that gives you happiness. I remember one lady, uh, she passed, I mentored her, she passed PMP exam. She sent me a note and said, Benjamin, um, I got a new job. I got 46% raise. If it was not you, I wouldn't have been here. Then I will never forget this. Another gentleman wrote me and said, Benjamin, I got that job. And uh, the, the manager, when he introduced me to the team, he regurgitated Everything he told me was like verbatim what he told me. And when he called you as reference, he probably had all this thing. Then <laughs> I will never forget this the rest of my life. How do you feel when you get some notes from people? Yeah, yeah, it's powerful. It's really powerful. You know, uh, Benjamin, oh, I have to say that I'm excited. And although I already have the book, I think most people are going to be really excited to go get this book to learn more about your perspective and, and how you have really put into a very clear context the power of knowledge management. Where can people find you online? What's the best way for people to connect with you? I am a social media animal. <laughs> I am on LinkedIn. I have tens of thousands of uh, connections, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and all these places. But my website is uh, benjaminanyacho.com. Okay. Benjaminanyacho.com is my website. When you go there, you see my connection to other social media platforms. But uh, formally or professionally, LinkedIn is where you find me. Yeah. And I think don't, I'm the only Benjamin Anyacho on LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I, we will have um, your LinkedIn as well as your website uh, yes. in the show notes here. But before we go, I just want to thank you so much um, from the bottom of my heart uh, for your passion. Um, your, your, just your ability to communicate uh, these ideas and for sharing your presence on our little Knowledge Cafe here, which is called a podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is a Knowledge Cafe right here. This is the Knowledge Cafe. I really appreciate that. So thank you so much, Benjamin, for being on the Profitable Happiness Podcast. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. For more episodes, visit drpalay.com. And remember, get happy first and success will follow.